Thank you for tuning in and welcome to another epic edition of the Jerry Jones Show. Hosted by Jerry Jones, along with his sidekick, Kevin Anderson. Each and every episode is guaranteed to increase your profits and decrease your stress in dentistry. Welcome to the show. Hello, everyone. It's Jerry Jones. And today uh, with me, I have a very special guest, uh, uh, my best friend and business partner and um, uh, all around great guy. Uh, and I've cornered him for a good 45 minutes or an hour, and we're going to discuss uh, leadership and uh, what leadership means to dentists, to dentistry, and how leadership and being, a, uh, being the best leader you can be uh, can change the direction of your practice. Um, and, and why why focus on being a leader. So um, I'd like to introduce Mr. Tom Callen. Tom's sitting with me here in my office. And um, uh, Tom's role today uh, with, with our different companies is he's a business partner in uh, our franchise, Wellness Springs Dental. He's also a business partner of mine at, uh, at our dental office here in Salem, Wellness Springs Dental of Salem. Tom and I have um, bought, sold, started a couple businesses together and, and been through fire and and uh, and have experienced some great success. So, um, Tom, uh, I know you can hear me fine because you're sitting right next to me. <laughs> yeah, right here. <laughs> um, and after this, I know we've got some good plans for the day. So uh, we're gonna just go right for the jugular on this and 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 go right for the meat. And um, I think you'll enjoy Tom's story, his background, and and what he brings to um, this month's edition of Dentistry Confidential. So, Tom, why don't we start this off and just maybe go right for the basic aspect of, you know, why, what is a leader and why should we give a rat's rear end about leadership in, in dentistry? Well, um, let's start with why, why should we care? Um, and that goes back to almost like being a parent. Um, do as I say, not as I do. I mean, how many times have we, you know, seen screaming kids in a, in a Walmart or something like that? And we wonder why they're screaming, because their parents are screaming right at them. So <laughs> leadership begins really with setting an example. And that example has to be what your moral fiber is. You know, what, is, what are my beliefs and, and how do I communic communicate those? We've heard tons of great quotes like, um, be the change that you want to see in the world. So you can't, on one side, tell your staff this is how it's appropriate to deal with patients, and then you're rude. You can't say, this is how I want you to deal with vendors, and yet you treat your own employees rudely. So when you set that standard, you are that standard, and you live it every day. And it has to be a part of your moral fiber. It has to be a part of your being and what and your core beliefs. So a leader does set an example. A leader is somebody that's, that can say, this is where I want to go, and this is what I want to do, and they're able to get people to believe in that vision that they have. And, that, and they have to sell the fact that they have the strength to get there and take everybody with them. So we see a lot of examples in life. And um, uh, you and I were talking yesterday, and John Wooden from you know, Basketball Times is the perfect example. Um, he had a core set of values, and by God, they were not going to be violated under any circumstances without, regardless, uh, without regard for the cost. So I remember one of the games that he was involved in, and, and um, uh, UCLA was ahead, and they were running out of steam, and the players started thinking, you know, he's going to call a timeout, and we're going to regroup. And they didn't, and they lost the game. And the question later was, well, John, why didn't you call a 
time out? And he says, because I'm the coach and I decide, not the players. Mm -hmm. And I needed to teach them a lesson. Well, it cost you the national championship. No, what was more important is I taught my players a lesson. That's John Wooden. Mm -hmm. Right? I mean, mm -hmm. that's, that's the guy. Mm -hmm. But we have a tendency to look anymore, and we're seeing it in politics right now, but we have a tendency to look at people like we say, well, George Patton was, boy, he was a great leader. He was a military leader. And there's a huge difference between a dental practice and George Patton taking the Third Army into Bastogne in relief. I mean, there's, there's a huge difference. And I'm retired military and, I'm, and an officer. So that type of attitude in the basically is the positive application of negative leadership. You can't stand <laughs> and scream at somebody in your office and say, well, it's okay because George Patton did it. Right. You know, it's, it's a completely different scenario. So if I'm sitting in, and also a leader is so strong in their conviction and their outlook on their goals that they allow people to give them input. Mm -hmm. So it's not like, I'm always right, you just do what the hell you're told to do. That's not a leader, that's a bully. Right. And there's a huge difference. Right. So... If I own the vision, and you're giving me input into that vision, I have to be strong enough to, to listen to what you're saying and change. Mm -hmm. Not the vision, not my morals, but to change how I might get from point A to point B. Right. That's not only enrolling you, but it's also bringing you into that group. And I've never changed what I'm changed what I'm doing. Right. So it, so a leader has to has to have their ego, the ability to check their own ego at the door when it when it's appropriate. Um, but yet also uh, be strong enough to say, okay, appreciate your input, thanks, but your input sucks or it's wrong or it's not for this yeah. situation. So, so it's kind of a double-edged situation. It's a double-edged sword because you, you, you can delegate your authority, but mm -hmm. never your responsibility. Right. You're always responsible. Right. Delegate, never abdicate. And so if you, if you tell somebody... Uh, you know, I'm delegating this to you. If it goes wrong, it's still, the turf's still in your pocket. Yeah. Uh, if the practice goes down and files a bankruptcy, you can't go into court and say, well, yeah, well, but my administrative assistant did. Or right. office manager did. Nobody cares. I had terrible dental assistants. Yeah. No, you know, nobody cares. So you've got to be accountable. You're always accountable. And the best thing to do is be accountable, not only to yourself, but be accountable to people that you work with. If you say you're going to do something, be accountable. Right. Don't just say, hey, I'm the boss, so I don't have to, I don't have to do anything. Right. You mentioned checking your ego at the door, too. Uh, I think an ego is, is great. Uh, and I think everybody ought to have one. Every, everyone should be able to look in the mirror and see all of the positive aspects of themselves and not the negatives. Mm -hmm. You know, and in our society, we're constantly critiquing each other. Mm -hmm. So, what we end up doing is saying, I want to be your equal as long as my equal is bigger than yours. <laughs> right? Yeah. We're, we can go down this road as long as it's my road. <laughs> as long as it's my road yeah. rather than creating an our road. Right. And so your ego, what really is, is that strength of conviction and I can hold on to those. And I've got the strength to stand up to no matter, no, no matter what happens, I'm going to stand and take the hit. I'm going right. to do it. I'm going to take it for my staff. I can chew my staff out, and this happened to me in the military a couple of times where some colonel would show up because I was a lowly captain. They were going to chew out one of my sergeants, and I'd say, no, 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 no. I'm the one that's responsible. If he gets his ass chewed, I do it. Right. If we screwed up, you rip on me all you want to, but otherwise, you need to leave. Right. And so that actually endeared your troops to you even more when they saw you as their leader stand up and say, Colonel, if there's an issue, 
you chew my butt, not theirs, and then I'll then I'll, I'll take, take care of my I'll take care of it, and I'll take care of it my way. Right. So some of the comments that would be made, you know, especially you know in the unit I had, which had five hundred twelve people in it, was five hundred and twelve. Five hundred twelve, and that's a big organization to it, manage. It was a big training company. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, but you know, here the sergeant's talking about it because we only had one officer, and that was me. That's a training unit. It's all senior sergeants. And they say, you know, he's a tough son of a bitch, but he's ours. Yeah. He's our son of a bitch. Yeah. So, um, yeah, they were just really good people, but we treat, that's the way we treated each other. It was always with respect. Right. I was in charge, but I wasn't bigger than them. Right. You know right. what I mean? Right. Because there always has to be somebody in charge, but with that, with that person being in charge comes a tremendous responsibility. Yes. Uh, and, and the willingness to say, I've got the shoulders to handle whatever goes wrong. Um, you know, I find... Uh, and, and even the strength of admit when you're wrong. Everybody yeah. else already knows you. St- you step well, and on. that's where I was going to go. Is you know when you step on your own crank and you screw up, which, uh, frankly, if you're not screwing up you're not. often, you're not pushing the envelope. I no. mean, I look at, I talk to our employees, the ones that you and I have mutually, and I talk to my other staff at Jerry Jones Direct, and um, and our franchise, the same thing. Um, you know, if we're not making mistakes, we're not moving in the right direction. You've got to yeah. you've got to be willing to make mistakes and understand that you know they're learning experiences. Because if you're not learning anything, you're not growing. And you know, I think sometimes doctors that I've talked to over the years, and I've talked to hundreds of them, as have you, um, they're often um, they often will not take action for fear of failure. Whatever that action might be, it might be something really minor. It might be something major. But they may not. They may decide to not expand their practice because they don't want to screw up, or they don't. They don't want to hire an office manager, someone to run their business for them, mm-hmm. because they don't want to make the wrong decision, or because they got burned. Uh, and I hear that. I've heard that so many times. I don't want to hire an associate, or I don't want to bring on a partner because I was burned one time back thirty-five years ago. Yeah, I was I've, burned. I've been married three times. If I was worried about getting burned, <laughs> <laughs> exactly. You wouldn't have married the third time. I wouldn't have married the perfect woman. So, right. Yeah. Right. I mean, so that's. Yeah, that's essentially it. But what you can do, and I was in the mortgage business a long time, is when you're looking at what am I going to do and push the envelope, if, if you're afraid of failure, you will never succeed. Fear has got to be an energizer. And the way to get rid of that is to mitigate your risk by doing a good risk assessment that says, if I do, if I do this, what's the worst that can happen and how can I mitigate that risk? But you've also got to say, if I don't do something, what's the risk? Right. And how can I overcome that risk? And right. you can sit down on a piece of paper and say, here's the pros and the cons, here's the risk, here's how I can mitigate the risk. And it's kind of like that means and ends analysis I showed you yesterday on a piece of paper. Right. You sit down and go through that thing and say, okay, I need to get that office manager. Uh, it's going to cost me more than I'm really comfortable with. How do I mitigate the risk? Hire a good person, hire somebody with success, and immediately be prepared to increase your production and increase your efficiency. Right. And if at the end of 90 days you're breaking even, I say to you, hallelujah, because now you've got a platform to move forward. It's good, you know, to get gain, there's going to be some pain, and you've got to be willing to take it. Yeah. And take the, take the hit. You can also yeah. just do something as simple as create a savings account that says, i got 90 days worth of payroll sitting here, so now... I don't have to feel that panic like, oh my God, if my production doesn't go up right away, what am I going to do? Sure. Because I've saved the money to cover it. Right. Nature loves balance. So if you've got a risk on one side, you can create a counterbalance to that on the other side. Yeah. And that's what the mortgage business is all about anyway. 
Yeah. You know, it's interesting. You bring up a balance and nature, nature uh, likes a balance. Nature also pours a vacuum. My, uh, my youngest daughter was um, going through uh, some science uh, tests here recently and we were, um, I was helping her study for a test and one of the things that she was talking about was uh, stasis, the equilibrium and, and how the earth always likes to be in equilibrium. That's nature. That's also business. Business likes equilibrium, but it also doesn't like a vacuum. So if you have a vacuum in your practice that, uh, as an example, maybe you're short-staffed on the, on the assisting side, or maybe, maybe you're running yourself ragged because you don't have an office manager. That's actually a vacuum. Yes. And it's causing all sorts of stress and problems. And so by filling that vacuum, that void, uh, you tend to bring things back into balance. It also gives you an opportunity to take the next step for the next level. But, you know, like, like you said, I love your plan. Now, you just gave a great, a great idea to a lot of folks listening to this, to this audio today that if you want to bring on a new person in some new role and you're uncomfortable about the expense, well, save in advance. Create that savings account. Few people have the discipline to do that, by the way. Most would rather just say, hey, I'll just go and do it and I'll take the risk. But I love the idea of mitigating it and saying, okay, great. It's going to be five or six grand a month to hire this top flight person for the first three months, so I'm going to stuff fifteen to eighteen thousand dollars away in a savings account, so I have a little less stress, you know, a lot less concern to think about. But I also can get that person up to speed and spend more time training, without the pressure of saying, "Crap, I have to make payroll for this person now, over and above what we've been making already." So you and I have been in that very situation. Yes. Um, and and so that's why I find this. This particular audio is so interesting is it's really kind of like the story of our business and the story of my own my own personal journey in business was, you know, you have to learn how to be a leader. Otherwise, you can never have any organization of any size and really ever have any measure of success beyond what a self-employment type job would get you. You know, 150, maybe 200 grand a year. Um, if you're really pushing the envelope and putting in a lot of hours, maybe 300 grand a year, but you're never going to get beyond that. You're going to get stuck. And, and part of our goal with these audios is to show people the way to get unstuck and get past themselves, get beyond themselves. And one of those is that leadership and is becoming a leader and, and accepting the responsibility. And, and if you, if you sit in this situation, we'll just talk the office manager situation. So let's play the one out. Um, so I'm, I'm working hard in my practice. I'm just absolutely busting my hump. I'm stressed, which means the patients know I'm stressed. Uh, nobody can hide it perfectly. The staff knows I'm stressed. They're feeling the stress. They're communicating that on as well. Um, I really need to get this office manager in here. Um, so what am I going to do? How am I going to do that? It's going to create some sacrifice for some people. First thing I'm going to do is have an have a office meeting and not one of these five minutes in the morning. I'm gonna, it's not a huddle. It's, it's a meeting. It's not a huddle. This is a real meeting, and I'm going to bring in pizza and tell everybody, you know, you're having dinner here at the office tonight, we're going to sit and talk for an hour or so. Yeah. And, say, and, and communicate to them very directly, openly, and honestly, this is what I think I see. And then wait and say, what do you think you see? And get everything from them, because their vision of what's going on is going to be a little bit different, but it really is going to relate. And so what you're looking for is a solution, and you say, I think, I think my solution, or our solution, is that we bring in an office manager. Mm-hmm. And here's, here's why it's good for me, here's why it's good for the patients, and by the way, here's why it's good for you. Right. Get their input back on that, and saying, here's the sacrifice. I'm going to need to, I've saved up the money, 
we're going to be bringing somebody new in, and I need you to help me train this new person. Because mm-hmm. we're going to do it together. It's not my office manager. It's our office manager. Right. And you're going to be reporting to them. When I get ready, and somebody's going to say, well, how do we know it's going to be okay? Okay, first off, it's not a popularity contest. And the second part is, is when I get to the final two people, you interview them. And then you tell me which one you want to work for. Yep. It's going to fit, it's going to fit in here. That's what a leader does. So the leader is still responsible, right? Mm-hmm. That leader is still accountable, but has delegated some of that authority to hire or make recommendations to the staff. And it's like putting out good karma. So later, if you get an office manager and people say, well, I just really don't like him or her or whoever it is, um, I would say, I'm going to probably say, you help me hire him. Right. Got to live with it. Yeah, you, know, you help me hire him. It's working him. out for me. And you, and, you <laughs> promised, and you promised me that you were going to help train him. So if we've got a training problem, yeah, you know, and so that's all part of that, part of that leadership that, that you're trying to put, put into your office. You're creating a team. Everybody uses the team thing way too much. But you are creating a team, and you are the team leader. Yeah, and you you've got to be you've got to be in front of every major issue. And going through that exercise that that you just described, where the doctor takes extra time, spends the time, invests time into his team by letting them communicate to him by in a in a non frenzied, not in the middle of the day type environment where. You know, it's an open, sort of an open opportunity to to have a good discussion. That also develops a real important component that should help solidify the success of hiring that person, which is the buy-in. Yes. They're, they're, they're accepting some responsibility by providing input and by listening to your output and then coming to a consensus of, all right, we're going to hire an office manager. Well, you've got buy-in at that point. And it becomes a lot more powerful and the odds of success are far greater than if you, the doctor, just go out and hire the first person you find and install them. Now, there's an exception to this, and you and I have been through the exception. If the entire team needs to be replaced, you know, your DAs need to go, your hygienist needs to go, the front, the the front, front desk. desk. In other words, you're just, you've just surrounded yourself with cancer, and you need to flush them all down the toilet and free up their futures. That's a different scenario. Mm-hmm. Then you're looking for slash and burn. You're looking to hire the person that has the ability to come in and, and just clean house and get the ship righted. And you and I have been through that. Yes. And, you know, I, I would, I've had the conversation with numerous doctors over the years where they found themselves in that same situation where they've kind of just, they've had to hire. Um, they didn't hire the best, but they were forced to just hire the first body that came through the door for whatever reason. And it happens. Um, it just happens. And, and I understand it. And I know you understand it, Todd. But there is an exception, and that is if you need to if you need to just get your ship righted, um, and it isn't that things aren't things aren't going well as a whole, and you need a culture shift. That's when you can go and find the person without getting input. Nor should you even want input from the cancer. Right. You're trying to eradicate it. You don't want to hear from it. So certainly an exception, as as most things, uh, we can always find an exception to. But I love that. I love that uh, that process. Now, if as the as the doctor. And I know some doctors may be thinking, they're listening to this, thinking, you know, but I don't want to show, I don't want to admit I'm wrong. I don't, wanna, I don't want my staff to see that I'm wrong because I have such a high degree of pride in what I do. Um, it's sort of like, you know, what if I have to redo a crown? Well, you know what, if you're not having to redo a crown once in a while, you're probably not doing enough of them. Um, you know, I mean, we had, a, we had an instance um, 
uh, not long ago where one of our doctors had to step up and take responsibility for a, for a, a surgery that didn't necessarily go badly because of his fault. It was just one of those situations it where happened. it happened. Um, but he stepped up and took responsibility for it. He showed leadership skills. Now, one of the comments I, <laughs> one of the comments I heard was if, if he would have had his other assistant that day, it may not have happened. Well, eh, it doesn't matter. You know, you still got to stand up and take responsibility. Whether you, whether your lieutenant, you know, at, at your side is, you know, there that day or not, at the end of the day, it all it's falls your, on you. It's, it falls on you. Yeah. In fact, if he was concerned about it, he should have called it off. Right. So it was a matter of he, he was confident he could handle it, and occasionally um, those things happen. Yeah. One of the things that you hear a lot about is, is um, admitting that you're wrong. Well, we have two things that you hear. One is Joe Gibbs on NCIS. Which, I love Gibbs. Is, which is my favorite TV show. <laughs> love Gibbs. Love Gibbs. And he says, um, never apologize, it's a sign of weakness. Sounds good on TV, but it's, nothing is further from the truth. Right. The other side we have is people running all over the place. Oh, I'm sorry, oh, I'm sorry, oh, I'm sorry, and doing whatever. And that's not what people need to do, too. Because remember I said earlier, when you make a mistake, everybody already knows. They're just waiting to see if you know. Yeah, <laughs> you that's know? exactly right. They, they're waiting to see. And so you don't have to sit there and apologize all the time. But what you do have to do is step up the plate and say, okay, I was wrong, now let's go fix it. Yeah. And from my experience, and, and I had some great leaders, and you've heard me talk about them, Starl and, and John and a few others. Uh, we had one occasion where there was a, a fairly good size, a great lesson for me early on in my career. And it was a mistake that was made. He got the, he got the entire agency together and said, here's what the mistake was. It's my responsibility. Didn't pine on about it. Just said, it's my responsibility. Now here's what we're going to do to fix it. Yeah. Boom. And we went straight to the solution. So we stepped right through that. Okay, we know who's responsible. We know who's, re who's accountable, or at least accepting responsibility. Yep. You know? um, and now here's what we're going to do to solve, solve the problem. And then the last thing society's gotten into, which is horrible for us, is we, we have the reporters on TV that say, and what are we going to do to make sure X never happens again? <laughs> That's, this is the world, uh, and X, yeah. X happens, what, whatever it is. What yeah. we're trying to do is to do our best to assure ourselves that all actions have been taken to reduce the incidence of what, you know, whatever that might be. Yeah. So these absolutes just don't ex exist. So I think if you want the staff to be able to come up to you and say, listen, doctor, um, I made a mistake and this is what I'm doing to fix it and this is what I'm doing to make sure it never happens again. If you want that to happen through leadership, you have to do that too. If you don't, if you don't talk about it once in a while, then you're going to get blindsided with lawsuits, pissed off patients, uh, bad reviews on Yelp or whatever the heck you're using, and you're going to say, "What the hell? Why well, was afraid to talk to you about it?" Because you know we don't talk about mistakes here. No, right. that that's just can't be the way it is. What we used to teach young soldiers and and others in places where I've worked, where I've had a multitude of employees is you're going to you're going to make mistakes the question is is what have you done to fix it did you step up to the plate what have you done to fix it what have you done to, to do the best to see that it doesn't happen again have you shared your mistake and your solution with others because we can't have 500 employees all making the same mistake mm -hmm. and and what have you learned from it and if you've done all those things and you've learned a great lesson you had a good day and that was a good mistake if nobody died and we didn't lose a crap load of money that yeah. was a good that was a good a good day. Yeah.
You know, I'll give you a recent um, example of, uh, of great leadership. I saw it in action, and I was a, a part of it, not the leadership side of it, but I got to observe it. Um, and it happened just a couple of days ago. Uh, I've got a vendor that I've used for 22 years, and I told you the story the other yeah. day. And um, approached me and said, hey, I've got some good news and bad news, um, both of which benefit you, which, of course, I was immediately interested. Um, anytime somebody says, I have good news and bad news, and both are good for you, um, you know, that, that makes your ears kind of perk up. So, um, long story short, his uh, comptroller, his, C, his CFO, uh, came to him and said, hey, we've got a problem with Jerry's account. And it looks as if we have overbilled him a lot. <laughs> and <clears throat> when I mean a lot, I mean like to the tune of about $30,000. So that's a significant amount. Now, the bad news is we didn't catch it on my end before they did. And I, for that, I'm upset about. I take responsibility for it. And I've already, I've already got a meeting scheduled with my own bookkeeper to make sure that doesn't happen again. But, um, but what I saw in action was the lieutenant going to the colonel and saying to the colonel, I found a problem, we screwed up, and we got to fix it, and here's what I'm doing to fix it. I recommend we call Jerry, we sit down, and we explain to him what happened and, and prove to him that he should still be comfortable with working with us. So the owner, Mike, uh, reached me, and we sat down and had a meeting, um, and it was a very, very easy, very quick meeting for me because I have a very good relationship with this company. Um, they're, they're almost like a partner. They're not, they're not a separate business. I mean, they're, they're just, they're, we've just had a long, great relationship. And his concern was, I hope he's not upset because of our long relationship. And I just looked at him and said, Mike, I wouldn't expect anything different from you than this meeting. This is mm -hmm. perfect. And I'm not worried at all because you're showing me everything I need to know. You're, you've taken the blame for it. You, not, not Adam, not your comptroller, your CFO, but you. And you're not blaming anybody else in the organization. And they're not here. You are. And so I'm, I'm perfectly comfortable with it. I thought, you know, for a business owner to step up and, and say, hey, we screwed up and we overbilled you. You know, we've been double billing you for four months and here's the result and we're, we apologize and we fixed it and it won't happen again. I, that just strengthened my conviction that that 22-year-long partnership has been a fantastic one and it'll be a great one for another 22 years. So it, it's not often in business or even in our personal relationships where we see someone like that step up to the plate and say, I screwed up. I'm going to fix it. Here's why you should keep trusting me. And, 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 he, and he didn't send you an email. No. And nor did he send you an adjusted invoice. He said, I want to see you eyeball to eyeball. Yep. And, and that's, that's really stepping up to the plate. Because yeah. there is no excuse. I hate it. We see it in the Donald Trumps of the world and the others. That, oh, it's different. This is business. No, it's not. Yeah. Business is no different than life. It's just the way I make a living. And it doesn't mean I put my morals on the shelf when I get in the car and go to work in the morning. Right. You take yourself there. You take who you are, and that's what you've got to be. And if you think you've got to lie, cheat, and steal and be bra bragging all the time to get it done, you're a butthead. You're not a leader. You're just a common bully. Yeah. And yeah. this guy that you met with is a leader. He is a good business person. And, and not... This is not meant to be like a, a, a sex thing, but he's a real man. Yeah, he made and, up. If, and if it had been a woman, I'd say he's a real woman. I mean, that's that's a real person standing up there saying, this is the right thing to do, and, and we're going to do this eyeball to eyeball because that's the kind of person I am. Yeah. Isn't that great? Yep. 
That's the way it should work. And you know, one of the things I've told our own our own customers, our members for years is, um, you know, if, if they were hiring us to do an extensive marketing campaign of some kind, and they're they're looking at dropping fifteen, twenty, thirty, forty thousand or more dollars into a marketing campaign over a period of a few months, what I would always tell them is that no matter what happens, we're going to make whatever we do wrong right. So we're going to screw up somewhere. And, and I'm always the first one, hey, we're going to screw up. That's just life. It's business. It's how, it's how it goes. But when we screw up, man, you should be clapping your hands, jumping up and down, and be excited and happy because when we do screw up, we make it so much better that you will be far better off than you would have had we never screwed up. That's the way we do business. And I mm-hmm. think that's a great way to approach really any situation. If there is a problem as a leader, you say, you know what? Not only are we going to fix the problem, but we're going to plus it. You're going to come out so much better that you're going to hope we screw up all the time. That's really the attitude you should have for something like that. And, and Mike did that. And he's, he's been you know, a stand-up guy for that. But you know, this, this circles back around to you know, how, how your team sees you reflects upon how your patients, your guests in the practice mm-hmm. see you as well. So you can walk into an office and immediately get a vibe for it. Um, you and I can walk into any dental practice in the United States, Canada, Australia, anywhere, even in uh, you know Iran or whatever, and you get a vibe for what's going on in the office. Just there's there's this electricity that's either present or, or absent, and and you can see uh, and and hear and tell by body language and and by by communication, verbal communication, if that team believes they have a real leader or not, or if there is no leader, and 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 they're you know they're just absent. That, how do you go from being in that situation where there is no leader in an office? How, how does a doctor, like, I mean, what does he do? Is there a step-by-step method he can, he can follow to rise up and say, I'm finally ready to put on my big boy pants and take control and, and take this practice to a new level? Yes. I, th- I, I think an, an exacting process, maybe not. But is there a process? Sure. And again, it always goes back to, uh, first off, do you have the right staff? So I'm sitting here looking at it and saying, we're kind of a mishmash, and I don't know that I like the vibe, as you put it, or the, the things that the patients are saying or the guests are saying, but I like the team. So if it were me, the very first thing I'd do is have that meeting again. And boy, is honesty a wonderful thing. You don't have to remember the story you told when you tell the truth. <laughs> right? that's, so, so, that's so true. <laughs> oh, that's just that's, amazing. That's awesome. So if you sit down with the staff and just say, listen, we, this is what I think I see. Again, what do you think you see? Don't you think we can be better? Okay. Well, oh, and, and there's a caveat to this. Um, when there is no leader in an office, let's say, and people will say that, the fact of the matter there is. Because, again, the world hates a vacuum. So somebody in there is in charge. Yep. Somebody in there is pushing things around. And they will continue to push because they're kind of that alpha personality, type A personality. And they're going to they're gonna fill that vacuum up. So when it's time for you to step up, you just say, you know, I own this place. And you are my employees, but you are my team. You are also my friends. You are also, we help each other make a living. I mean, we, we accomplish some great things. And um, I'm ready to take us to the next level. And I wouldn't say there and sit there and say, I know I'm a piss poor leader, but I'm really going to try and see what I can do. <laughs> I'm really going to try. <laughs> I would simply say we are uh, kind of at that point where leadership becomes 
so important, it needs to be official, it needs to be formal, and we need to talk about it. And I would talk to him about it and say, okay, we're going to meet next week, and I want you to tell me um, what your values are and what value should we communicate to the customers that come in. When those guests walk in here, what are, what are we going to communicate to them? And then the next meeting, we're going to talk about how we're going to deliver that. And then the next meeting, we're going to talk about how we communicate. And somebody's going to be listening to this and going, Cripe, he's talking about two months. And I'm going to say to you, you've been probably screwing it up for years. So to do this right. <laughs> it's going to take some time. It's going to, ta it's going to take some time. Um, the training programs uh, that we put on uh, with the Department of Veterans Affairs for our managers took over a year. Yeah. And the training programs that you see in the military, when um, I was the officer in charge of a training company, many of those lasted a year. Yeah. And we would meet periodically every other weekend or, you know, whatever it is. It takes time. Yeah. But whatever you invest is what you get back. And if you shortchange yourself and your employees, you're going to get shortchanged, disappointing results. And the next time you come to them, they're not going to believe you as much. It's like, well, I've been here before. Yeah. You know, you bring up a very good point is the believability side of things. <clears throat> if you waffle, um, you know, I, I often use that term um, when, when doctors are presenting treatment. They diagnose and waffle. You know, well, this is what you need, but we could probably get by with this or that. Why would you stop? Why, why would you, I mean, why wouldn't you stop? This is what you need. And if you were my mom or dad, this is exactly what I would want. This is what I would insist that you get. It's your choice, but this is what I would insist. You can do nothing even, but that's mm -hmm. not what I would want my, or that's not, I wouldn't allow my mom or dad to do that. So you can't, as a leader, you can't waffle. You know, like you said, when we started this conversation is your, your moral fiber, your values that you have that carry you day to day, that got you where you are. Um, and hopefully they're all very positive, uh, very positive um, uh, aspects. <clears throat> you can't, you can't give those, you can't give on those. And so as you develop yourself and, and put yourself in situations where your leadership is tested, those are opportunities where you literally have to just stand there and, and take the fire. Or when it's time for accolades, let's talk about how to handle that. Because maybe we've got some docs that are listening to this going, hey, my leadership skills are pretty good. But, you know, um, there's one thing I've learned is that school's never out for the pro. And it doesn't matter what we're talking about. Clinical skills, leadership skills, marketing skills, um, you know, dealing, dealing with your wife or your spouse skills, and that's a unique skill set in and of itself. Um, how, now I kind of lost my train of thought, but um, where, where do you sort of see, you know, a doctor that thinks he's pretty good? What, where do you see, well, take a look at your own organization when you, when you were training troops and you had your 512 and you were dealing with staff sergeants. They thought they were pretty good, but what were things that you often saw that would get them from where they were to that next level? And, and what would you use to sort of leverage that up and get them going to that next level? Oh boy, that's hard because uh, it so much depends on the person. But the first off is don't overpraise. It's got to be real. Um, never be thoroughly satisfied. You know, if I'm, if I'm training a, a somebody, and, which I did for a number of years, officer candidates, uh, people wanting to be commissioned as infantry officers. And um, it was always, I'd look at them and say, not bad, now, this is what I want. You're always up in the bar. You, you are never satisfied. So if we went out to, to train them, uh, 
you wouldn't believe how perfect our uniforms were. We were the standard. No matter what they did, they couldn't be as good as we were. So we were a walking standard of this is what this is what perfect is. Mm -hmm. If we went out to teach them how to uh, shoot on the firing range, you know, we were all highly qualified with our weapons. What they didn't know is we were working on alternate weekends to make sure our <laughs> skill set was up. But th that didn't matter. I mean, our skill set was up there. So. Don't, you know, don't overpraise. Don't make sure that that standard is a tough one and it's uniform. I don't have a standard that's different for one person than the next. If I have standards for DAs, then that's the standard and I, you know, I have an expectation that you meet it. When people do well, you praise in, you praise in public. If people make a mistake, you never scold in public. That's done privately. Never. Yeah, that's a sign of a weak leader to me. You just don't do uh, that. And a bully. Yeah, and yeah. You, you're, you're, not, you're not there to hurt them or their egos. You're there to help them be better at what they do. And if you don't have a person who is an achiever, who is always reaching for that bar, you got the wrong person anyway. If they get into that zone where I'm dissatisfied being average, um, then if you want to grow, then you need to get above average people. Even if you have to bring in somebody that's subpar and teach them, which is a whole other point. Technical skills are the easiest thing in the world to teach, in my This is my opinion. Mm -hmm. Getting good people is tough. People that have a hunger and a desire to be the best version of themselves that they can possibly be. You go get those people, and they'll carry the freight for you. You can always teach them those technical skills. Yeah. So you would see people interviewing for jobs, and like I said, I worked for the government for a while. And it was always about, do you qualify based on your technical skills? And to be very candid, I could give a rat's ass. Yeah. But I, I look, I'd sit there and talk to them, and I'd look, I'd look for the shine in their eyes. I'd look for that aggression. I, wa I want to get out and do good things. And again, we did things for veterans, so it's kind of like having the guests come into your practice. You're there to do good things for them. Right. We were there to do good things for veterans. So if you sat there and talked to me how much the you're going to get paid and what are the benefits. I wrote you off. I mean, you probably see the glaze go over my eyes. I'm done. But if you could talk about what you wanted to do to make the world better, just this, your little piece, right? then you had, I was, I was hooked. You, you mentioned, um, I'm, I'm going to brag on you a little bit here because I know your, your story quite well. The numbers are always a little fuzzy to me because they're so huge, but they're, you know, you've got a, you've got an incredible backstory. Um, you started at the Oregon Department of Veterans Affairs, which, which I, I, love, I love the organization, number one, because it, it's all about the vets, um, and I'm a huge proponent for vets. Uh, number two, um, it's a government entity. It's a state of Oregon government entity. Mm -hmm. And so most people, as soon as they hear the word government, they immediately think of lazy, sloth, and time-wasting and money-wasting organizations. The Department of Veterans Affairs was a lot different because you were constitutionally mandated by the state of Oregon to make money. You could not lose money. You could not just spend money. You had to make money. The, re the reality of it, re really the way it said is the Constitution provided um, that the department could issue bonds, but it also had in there as a guarantee that the bonds would be paid is that the state, uh, at the direction of the director, could issue a property tax against all real property in the state of Oregon to guarantee payment of those bonds. Politically, if you had to issue that property tax, you had just committed suicide. <laughs> You're done. You're done. So it, it didn't say in there that you had to make a profit. It was the other way. If you don't, 
if you have to come to us for money, you've just killed yourself. You're done. So you have to end the state hates the word profit, so we had to make a gain. Right. So right. when I left there, I, I left as the chief operating officer and deputy director, our accumulated gain was $144 million. Right. So we had... What about when you started, though? That's, see, because uh, you've got this 30-year history, right? 30 years? 27 and, 27 and a half. half years at an organization where, where you started at the lowest possible rung, or darn near lowest darn possible near, rung, yeah. and, you, and you worked your way up. Um, blood, sweat, and tears, and, I mean, just willpower and a hunger for knowledge and that gleam that you look for in, in your employees' eyes, you had that gleam, and... Uh, Star Austin saw that gleam in your eyes, and you worked your way up. When you started, what kind of shape was that organization in? Well, it was it was uh, in a state of dis uh, uh, of disbelief in a way. Uh, it had chugged along really well uh, for quite some time. Um, the economy was really turning, and rather than stepping up and facing it and raising interest rates, which is what they needed to do, they didn't have the courage to do it because there would have been a huge political flap, but they wouldn't face the storm. So if you can imagine, this sounds really funny, we were losing money on every loan, but they tried to make it up by volume. <laughs> hey, I know a few dental offices like yeah. that. <laughs> so along comes, and the way they were doing that is by selling bonds short, making long mortgages, which kept the rates down, and then the Fed came in and changed the rules and said, sorry, you can't do that anymore, and it's called the Mortgage Subsidy Bond Tax Act. And nobody would step up to the plate. And the longtime, very popular director retired. Good guy, liked him really well. But he wouldn't step up and do the deal. His CFO was telling him what the problem was. But it was news that was falling on a deaf ear. So, in comes Star Lawson, retired Brigadier General. P-47 pilot, World War II, um, was involved uh, in the relief at Bastogne. Uh, just, just a really wonderful guy. And you would not say, if you met him right off, that this isn't this inspirational leader. He's tall, thin, um, kind of had a halt in his speech and that sort of thing. But he saw what was wrong. Consultants, he hired all the people he needed to, to get a good, clear picture of what was going on. And then he went public with it. So I started as a bill collector, seeing that we were losing money. I go out and start managing field offices. I managed the field office out of Market Street. Poo-poo hit the fan, quite literally. And in one month, we're making mortgage loans. A month later, collecting them with untrained people. I mean, it was just an absolute joke. But Starl took it. Starl said, this is the right thing to do. Here's the direction we have to go. And here's what's got to be done. I've got the players to do it. I'm going to handpick the people I want. Now let's go get this thing done. And he was very clear, like in one of the jobs I had managing field offices, there were 16 of them and I had maybe 220 employees then. Um, I'm going to be able to leave you there about a year, year and a half, and you're going to burn up. And mm -hmm. I just thought, there's no way in hell. But 14, 15 months later, he comes by and says, Tom, starting tomorrow morning, we're moving you over to another um, senior job. Why? He said, because you're exhausted. It's all over your face. I told you you couldn't take it too long. Because he would work you hard. He, yeah. would, he, would make, he would make you work. But he was the first guy there in the morning, and he was the last guy there at night. Right. So 
he, you know, he just provided that stable hand. I never saw him ever angry that he raised his voice, ever. He didn't do that. He stayed the course. No matter what people said, he stayed the course. That was wonderful. The biggest thing he could say to somebody was, I'm disappointed in you. And you would see grown men cry, literally. Yeah. So, well, I mean, you got a World War II vet, Brigadier General, P-47 pilot, and he's been through literally the fire. There isn't anything that he hasn't seen. He created the fire. Yeah, he was the fire. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, to have someone of that of that stature, of uh, legendary status here in Oregon, somebody like that to say that to you is crushing. <laughs> I mean, yeah. And and what a, what a great effect though, because that's that is that's a leader. You know, if you think about you know what what defines a leader is the ability to not raise their voice and communicate something so powerful with so few words yet have have the understanding just ripple through the entire organization is is powerful well, and here's where the training comes in when you think about that kind of a kind of leadership I know we're kind of off the story but I think it's important to, to tell people about it um, and, and you've known me for some years now but especially um, coming up through the organization so much to do um, and with my background in the military and whatever um, I've always had a fiery personality. I've got a little bit of a temper. Um, one of the first performance evaluations ever written had a footnote handwritten at the bottom that says, suffers fools poorly, which I think he thought was a reprimand to me, and I took it as a compliment, candidly. Mm -hmm. um, and so sometimes in the organization, trying to get something done, I would cut a fairly wide swath. It was actually used for years as the fix-it guy. If there was a division in trouble, Starl or somebody would put me there, and then I was the fix-it guy. Right. Um, but I would watch Starl and see his example, and I started trying to emulate that. He wasn't over-counseling me about, Tom, you know, you've got to stop getting so darn pissed off and, you know, doing this and whatever, because you're, you know, you're getting it done, but you're causing some casualties along the way. <laughs> I would simply watch him. That was it. You know, yeah. that's living that example. That is being, being that true leader and living it every day and then having somebody 25, 30 years younger watching that going, wow. Yeah. That's, when I grow up, that's, that's what I want to be. Yeah. And my dad was just like him. Yeah. In fact, Starl and my dad were really good friends. So I had these two examples. My dad's a World War II then retired colonel. And so... You know, I've got these two guys, and I'm watching them going, wow, that's what I want to be. Right. So you're setting that example. That's, that's being the change you want to see in the world. Mm -hmm. Right? Mm -hmm. So it's, it's just a wonderful example. Now, did we dig out of the hole? We did. We were in the hole $750 million. Starl set the stage. John Mangus came in as the director, put some financial stuff together. It was just absolutely beautiful. And we were able to come around. We were able to overcome our problems, but we were all focused on the same thing. Every employee in that place was focused on exactly the same thing. We held each other accountable. Union employees were holding managers accountable and vice versa. We held each other accountable because we knew what would happen if we failed. Right. And there couldn't be a loose cannon on the pitching deck. Everybody, you know, had to be focused. And we, and we did it, Yeah. right down to the lady in the mailroom, which I told you about. Love that is, story. Yeah, which is funny. <laughs> we don't have time for that. but Love know. that story. But we were able to sell what needed to be done well enough that everybody bought it. And it was based on education. We were teaching the people in the mailroom what to look for on our financial statements. Yeah. 
Everybody was involved. Full disclosure. Full disclosure. Which is a good time to bring up a book that you and I both love. It's called The Great Game of Business, Bo mm-hmm. Burlingame and Jack Stack. Uh, Jack's the primary author. Bo's the, the co-author. Phenomenal book. Um, but to me, it, it, it's a revel, it's a, it was a revelation to read that. And, you know, and it backs your example up perfectly. Um, <clears throat> yesterday, we had a meeting with our own COO at our dental office, um, Helen Sanders. And Helen, uh, in her own right, is a great leader, and she's done some fantastic things for that office. Um, and we, we were having a meeting with her and, and sharing with her um, to be sure and leverage her team the employees at the office and, and letting and, and allow really giving her permission. I, I don't know if she needed it, but I think it helps as, as you and I being the owners, giving her permission to lean on her team more to get done what she needs to get done, to get done what the organization needs to accomplish and to bring them more into um, the picture and not try and shoulder all the responsibility on her own. Because I don't think a great leader um, takes on all the responsibility all by themselves. I think a great leader delegates, um, knows when to delegate, knows how to delegate, and is, is effective at it, but also knows that when it's time for um, praise or, or when things go well, you know, so if you and I come to our COO and say, hey, you know, things are going really well, really proud of you, how things have, have come around or whatever we're talking about in, in bestowing praise, uh, she's, very, she's very good, thank you. And then I know she goes back and she tells the people that are doing the right things our message. So she's giving the credit where it's due. She's not saying, yeah, I did it all on my own. Nope, she's going back but when and layering you, but that when on. You, when you delegate, you have to make people accountable. Yeah. You can't just delegate it, it doesn't work, and you stand there and shrug your shoulders. You go back to that person, and you make darn sure that they understand, I delegated this to you, and you didn't come through. Now, I'm going to take the big hit, but no more of this. Right. If you step up and say, if I give you something and you agree to do it, we've got an implied agreement, my expectation is, is you're going to meet that. And if you think you may fail, the, first, the second person to know beyond you is me. And it's an immediate notification, not somewhere down the road, well, I was hoping it was going to work out okay. Right. It, it just doesn't. Right. No, it never does. <laughs> it never does. Well, this has been, I mean, we're at 50 minutes, and we need to, we need to get going because you and I have plans. We're going to go do some stuff this afternoon. Um, and I think we've really done a good job sort of opening up the discussion for leadership and why it's important in a dental practice. Um, and I would encourage um, our listeners to seek out um, uh, education and information on how to, how to become a better leader, how to develop their leadership skills. I have some favorite resources. Do you have some favorite resources that you'd point our listeners to, Tom? Um. I just I just love to read. So as you know, and mm-hmm. I'm good for one to two books a week, and mm-hmm. you know I'll plow through them. And typically, when it comes to leadership, I try to find people like Wooden mm-hmm. and others, where I can just read about their story. And I don't want something that says in this basketball game X happened. I like to go find out about Wooden himself, right? And who who was this person, and how was he perceived by his players, uh, by other coaches? And what you find out is John Wooden was called the coach by every coach in basketball. Yeah. If you saw the players and their full-grown adults with kids and whatever, they would talk about this person or whatever, and then there would be the coach. The coach. So he set that bar, and he said, you know, here's where I'm at. 
So I like to read those, read those kinds of stories because I'll always pick out a nugget. And then if somebody's looking for a book that says, well, here's everything soup to nuts, I'll tell you first off, there isn't one. But what you're looking for is you find a nugget. And then you have to have a moment of truth, which is, where do I fit into this? Right. Am I part of the problem or part of the solution and what can I do to improve? Right. The one person you really should never lie to is yourself. I mean, you can kind of spiff up a little bit, a little bit of a story to somebody. You know, I jokingly say, "Yeah, you should have seen me when I still had hair, right?" But that hits a little close to home because you know, <laughs> I have none. <laughs> but uh, but you've got to be so incredibly honest with yourself. And and a lot of the books that I read have to do with that. If you're looking at process, Deming is the guy for mm -hmm. me. Uh, I'm old school, but Deming, the you know, he's he was absolutely. Um, he's an original. I mean, in he that was, field, he's an original. He was yeah. an original. Another good person to read about, I just bought um, uh, some selected works of Abraham Lincoln. Mm -hmm. And it's not his story. What it is, is the letters he wrote to people. Oh, those are, those are infamous, man. Those and are, so I sit and read yeah. those, and it tells me all about the man. Not the one the history books write about. Right. But it tells me about the man. Right. And that's... You know, those are the kind of things, you know, that I'm after. And it guides me in different situations. Yeah. I'll think think about it. Uh, I read a lot of Maya Angelou. Mm -hmm. Angelou. Um, really an intelligent woman. And an, had an ability to really get down to the brass nuts when it came to communicating a message. Yeah. And what you've got to do is just don't read it, absorb it. You right. Know, take it into yourself and make it a part of you. Right. And then communicate it back in the actions and deeds. Yeah. So. She was just on the cover. Of, we featured her on the cover of uh, Life, Liberty, and Happiness, our magazine for patient retention and, and referrals. Um, you know, uh, before we go, um, there's one other thing that I wanted to talk about. Um, if you have an office manager... Uh, or COO in our case, um, there's one thing as the leader, as the owner of the practice that you need to make sure that your lieutenant is doing um, is there's a very common, um, there's an acronym for it. It's MBWA, Management by Walking Around. If, you, if your office manager has an office, the best place she can be is out of it and literally walking around the practice yeah. to see what's happening, to listen and to coach, not scold, but coach as, as the opportunities come up. Um, and, and so that's, that's something that, you know, as a leader, you, you don't want to forget. And, and, and as well, you being the leader, depending on what the rank and what the rank looks like in your practice and, and who is there and who's in charge of what, um, it may be you doing some of that coaching. You know, if your dental assistant isn't talking the right way that they should be to a guest, then once that guest leaves, take them aside and, and, and correct it. Um, you know, and coach, uh, take those opportunities. But if it's not, if you have, if you have delegated that responsibility to your office manager, then have the conversation with your office manager. You know, Sarah needs to be talked to about X, Y, or Z. This is what I heard. So, you know, make sure that you, you use those opportunities as they occur, because every day is a learning experience. There isn't a day that goes by where there isn't something to learn, um, as a leader and something to, to teach and coach your team mm -hmm. with. Um, so there's, there's just a never ending and, and break it, break it up a little bit. You know, if the office manager is walking about, it should be going out and sitting in the lobby and just watching the experience from the patient standpoint or standing behind the counter or in front of the counter, greeting people. But you as the owner of the practice, you as the dentist do the same thing. Yeah. If you've got two or three minutes between patients, instead of standing there, you know, chatting with somebody or whatever it might be, go stand in the lobby and see if you like what you see. 
Do you like what you hear when the phone's being answered? Because ultimately, the proverbial turd is in your pocket. Yep. And you're the one accountable. Wouldn't it be great if somebody walked in that was about to see you and you're standing in the lobby and you say, June, good to see you. Glad you're here. Yeah. I've been waiting for you to come in. How you doing? I mean, yeah. what is that patient? I mean, talk about loyalty. Yeah. And that's what you're really doing. Anybody can drill and fill. What you're talking about is that patient experience and you're the leader. Yeah. Get out and move around. Tom, thanks for your time. You let's bet. go Let's go do our thing today. And, and uh, for our listeners, our Dentistry Confidential subscribers, thanks for joining us today. Um, as always, questions, comments, uh, or suggestions for future uh, dental, Dentistry Confidential interviews, uh, reach out uh, jerry at jerryjonesdirect.com. Hey, Jerry Jones here. Thank you for joining me on this edition of the Jerry Jones Radio Show. You've reached the end of this segment. You can always listen in to the next show by visiting jerryjonesdirect.com forward slash podcast. You can subscribe on iTunes or Stitcher or find the show at blogtalkradio.com forward slash Jerry Jones. For more information about Jerry Jones Direct, go to jerryjonesdirect.com or give us a call, 503-339-6000. Our member ambassadors are standing by to assist you. And once again, thank you for listening to The Jerry Jones Radio Show.